This is the Saturday Supplement. I'm Frank Lewis. She always said, I'll bring the buns. And even when she didn't say it, you knew she would anyway. With that kind of arsenal, who could resist? But much more powerful was her commitment. She worked full-time in a voluntary capacity for 25 years. And she was always full of life and fun, clearly hugely enjoying what she was at. Her reward was seeing her town transformed. The supreme acknowledgement that when Killarney won the National Tidy Towns competition in 2011. Today we remember and celebrate Yvonne Quill of College Street and Barleymount. My guides through this rich, inspiring and happy story are Yvonne's husband John and daughter Sanderton Lee. Over the next two hours we'll hear when the bakery went on fire spending time living on Countess Road. Enabling the community to lead, supported by the local authority. On College Street worrying the friars the unique cafe, the shop, home and bakery, transforming the appearance of Killarney, daily walks in the National Park, wild and cultivated, Rosie's Beach to, to Killarney House, first to cross the threshold to open Buckers House, the first to arrive when James Gleeson died in an explosion, loving granddaughter Anna's art. Today's programme is recorded on March the 12th. Your comments for later use in other programmes, write Frank Lewis, Gillon, Mangerton Road, Muckers, Killarney, Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com, text 083 300 3300 or phone 066 And now, to begin. In College Street, at what was the cafe where generations of the Courtney Fleming Quill family lived and worked, we're joined by Aileen O'Callaghan, who, with her two sisters, worked here as a teen and young adult and stayed in touch. Lisa Corkery, from the age of 15, one of the last people to work in the old cafe with Yvonne and stayed a family friend. And Christy McCarthy, friend and customer, every morning with the telecom boys. They had their own table uh, set and ready every morning. Their order was already known. Aileen. She made our wedding cake and uh, it was the worst day that was ever. That day it was a storm, there was floods and everything. And when she was delivering the cake to the hotel, the top tier fell off and oh was destroyed. <laughs> and she it didn't phase her now, in fairness. She came and took the, the artificial tier off the window of the cafe and brought it out. Never said it until after the wedding. Lisa... My aunt um, in the Hendy stores had told Yvonne I'd got engaged and word filtered to Mill Street anyway that Yvonne was making the cake and don't go any further. This was, you know, um, going to be Yvonne's gift. Yeah. But um, she made a fabulous cake. Weeks and months went into it. It was absolutely amazing. And we went down to the Sneem Hotel. Of course, I was oblivious to a lot of it while it was going on, but didn't the cake end up getting locked into the car? So I think there was... Um, <laughs> John, the priest, my brother-in-law mechanic and Yvonne outside and there were, you know, other people were trying to shield me from this. Why could they not get into the car? Uh, They'd locked the keys into the car. Yeah, and the cake was inside so there was utter panic outside of how they were going to get the cake out and uh, I think uh, John's car bore the uh, scars of that for a bit a long time after. Uh, We'll just say there was a clothes hangers involved in the end um, but the cake came out but there was going to be no way it was going to stay inside anyway if the car had to be open with a tin opener it was coming out and that was it (laughs) as an observer of the passing scene something that might not be known Christy Yvonne and a man down in his luck sleeping rough but every morning of the week the cafe would be packed 
he would end up on the first table inside the door here and Yvonne would feed him. It didn't always go smooth. The cafe would be filling up and Yvonne would say, come on now, it is time for you to go, time for you to go. He'd stand up at the door, he'd say, you were one thundering bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe five or ten minutes afterwards he'd come to the door and he'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Yvonne, I'm sorry. People who were helped to Sandra in the in the cafe, this, it, it, there wasn't just one person. There was quite a number of... Growing up as a child watching that was, you know, we were just taught that everyone was treated the same. So I know there was one little gentleman who used to just knock on the window of the cafe and either my grandmother or me or my mother would come out with just a bag of, of food for him and he'd go off. And I, d- I don't think we even ever knew his name. John. Yvonne was stopped in the street and about two years ago and he said I need to speak with you this is embarrassing my family dealt with Miss Courtney's for maybe 30 years we left a large bill and he said I'm moving on in years and I don't want to go to my grave without having it cleared and I'm sure I may not be in a position to clear it now so Yvonne says to him I'll tell you what you'll do would you go to the ferry and get a message and your bill is cleared? I think it's very fitting that we are remembering Yvonne on a week where we've celebrated International Women's Day because Yvonne was that uh, iconic woman. She was a strong businesswoman, she was kind, she was empathetic, she was fun. You also did your stint in the cafe. Sandra, your mother Yvonne was soft when it came to pricing. One year you said you'd open for takeaway sandwiches and drinks for the Munster final. You upped the price by 20 pence. I was just making it even, you know, that it would be handy that they'd, you know, hand in two coins or whatever it was. And, uh, oh, she couldn't cope at all with it because she thought it was too expensive, you know, for the sandwiches. And I said to her, you know, Mom, these people are coming from Cork or whatever. They're well used to paying twice that for their sandwiches. So we had it out. And in the end, I just put the foot down. No, I'm, I said, I'm not having it, Mom. We're, that's what we're, we're charging. So in the end, I ended up having to take the money because she just couldn't, she just couldn't do it. John, your first sighting of Yvonne... I was walking up Palace Street here one day. I suppose I was maybe 16, 17. I saw this lady coming across with the tray, big tray up here on her hand. And she walked across the street. And I threw an eye at her. I didn't know who she was. She just, I can still see this black skirt. Uh, not a mini skirt, but showing enough leg to be interesting. And... <laughs> Your she, daughter is disgusted she, at your grin. She looked, <laughs> looked anyway at me with a kind of a cheeky grin yeah. and didn't say hello or didn't say anything. And I looked back at the cheek with a cheeky grin <laughs> and that was it. I continued on. She went into the cafe, which I didn't even know where she was going at the time. But then we, we met up in the Franciscan New Club a couple of weeks after. Aileen, Yvonne was interested in everybody, family, staff, friends. She wanted to see everybody getting on. Even though I was working there as a summer job, she encouraged me to better myself. And she, John was working in Foss at the time. And she said, Aileen, go off now and do an office procedures course. Move on now and uh, better yourself. And I did. Christy, the tables in the cafe could tell about more legal deals than the courthouse. It was rather remarkable, especially at courthouse mornings. You would find the judge in one corner, 
staying very quiet, very isolated looking, and then would arrive the lawyers with their clients. And I can assure you, there was many a heated discussion, and I'd say many a case was solved with the help of a cup of coffee and a few soothing buns. Not only did she provide your wedding cake, but she was taking the photographs as well. My photos as well, yeah. Well, it was actually Christy Clinton who was taking our photographs the day of our wedding, but she followed him around all day and took the same photographs. She knew he wasn't going to be impressed, but she still did it. And she came out to the house the following day with them all developed and everything, and she was just it was just fantastic. Lisa, Yvonne could hear you mention a party at 50 paces and she'd be on and say, oh, I'll make the cake again for my 21st. Her very famous banoffee, she was a great banoffee baker and she made that for my 21st. So this story relates in that somebody was having a party and Yvonne herself had decided to make the cake and it was going to be banoffee. Here in the cafe, so we were on the ground floor and the family living area was on the second floor and the bakery for the cafe was on the third floor but Yvonne put on two tins of condensed milk to make this banoffee cake and of course on a Saturday it was just so busy you know we came down and that was it you know the the two tins were boiling away above and we heard two shots going off upstairs explosion explosion we said what is going on up there you know so ran up the stairs and in fairness to the Flemings and the Quills we had free reign of the house we were part of the family you know so we ran upstairs opened the door into the kitchen I couldn't believe my eyes the two tins of condensed milk which had then turned into caramel were after exploding all over the kitchen it was on the walls on the ceilings I don't know how they were ever going to get it off but Yvonne didn't care about that I was more horrified in the scene where she was my cake you know how am I going to make my banoffee now Sandra Padraig your grandfather sent your father John up to the bakery to check a mixer it started with Mary the, the baker she was reported that there was an issue with the mixer, that the, she was getting a shock from it. My grandfather went up and tested it and he said there was absolutely nothing wrong with the mixer and that she was just imagining it. So it was ongoing and then Granda decided he would send John Quill up as an independent observer and he'd check out the mixer. Well, Dad was stuck to the floor <laughs> <laughs> with the shock that came off the mixer and he got the fright of his life. So he came down gingerly down the stairs to report yes indeed the mixer was an issue only for my granddad to throw the eyes to heaven and say John Quill you're worse than the women <laughs> John you didn't think your father-in-law was trying to get rid of you <laughs> no no Frank we had a great relationship from the day I met that man until the day he passed on I don't think we had ever an argument but I can remember that situation very well. He said, oh, Jesus Christ, you're as bad as the, as the people above. And that was about, that was the end of it. Aileen <laughs> O'Callaghan, Lisa Corkery and Christy McCarthy, thanks indeed for talking to us. Thank you. you can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. Remembering and celebrating the life of Yvonne Quill with her husband, John, and her daughter, Sandra. Now at the front door of Muckers House, joined by Dan Keller, Superintendent of Killarney National Park from 1963 to 2001. And Michael Gleeson, 
former town and county councillor and one of the trustees of Muckras House. Sandra, a special boast of your mother's was that she was the first person to enter the house when it was opened initially for refurbishing. Dr Hilliard being there and ushering her through and he said to her, like she didn't take any notice at the time, but he said to her, you'd remember this for the rest of your life. Also, she talked about prior to the official opening of coming to the house with her father and taking dust sheets off furniture. We have with us a man who's historic in, in more senses than one. I mean, he's just reminded me there that on the official opening, the official party on the official opening in June 1964, he's now the only living memory from that day. From the 1960s, Yvonne's father, Patrick Fleming, was one of the founding members of the Trustees of Muckers House. Dan, your, your memory of the Trustees in the 60s and 70s? I, I think they were unique, they were pioneers. There was a lot of controversy before it was opened. And there was a public meeting in the artist's foundry at the time. In December, there was a complete outcry because it, at that stage the, there was an agreement in principle by the Minister for Finance that he would hand over the house to the CIE, who were then the, the owners of the Great Southern Hotel, the, the public institute because they, they was behold up in the hotel every year for about three or four months. And they was walk out here and they saw the empty house and being the enterprising people they were, they said it should, something should become of it and they decided then that they'd take it over jointly. So there was a public meeting then and there was a, a deputation formed and they went on a deputation to the Minister of Finance saying that they would take over the house and there was to and fro and the decision wasn't taken until May. I was at the show in the RDS. I was sent down to brief one of the commissioners of the OPW. He met the trustees the following morning. And he, he conveyed approval then of the minister. The minister said he will give me a lease of the, of the house. He tested him for 12 months. So where we're standing now might not it, have been it, the... It could have been the Muckleshoe Hotel. Hotel yeah. We're so fortunate, Michael, aren't we, that if it weren't for the action that was taken at that time, led by Dr Hilliard and people like Patrick Fleming and, and Mrs Grosvenor and so on. The place represents everything that's best not only in the work that's done here but in its setting and I'm enormously proud of all the people who have served here and we should be eternally grateful to Dan and we should also be very grateful to the Minister Minister Ryan at the time who as far as I know his great grandson is playing in the second row for Ireland in the Rugby International, James Ryan John, Yvonne crocheted shawls and pieces for muckras for sale in the house in the 70s. The trustees at that stage, they, they were all putting their shoulders to the wheel with getting things done at cost or getting things done, you know, that there'd be no... The, the only profit would come to muckras house. They were travelling all over the county. I remember Sean O'Connor and... Paddy McMonagall later and so on, travelling all yes. over the place, gathering farm machinery, gathering right. pieces from farmhouses and so on. Didn't and Patrick, your father-in-law, was very much a part of that. When they opened the coffee shop, he supplied them with the cakes at cost. No profit for himself, just what the materials cost. And that went on for years. Sandra. Mom, she mm. had great stories, of course. But she was a guide um, here, of course, as well. She was, when One she was younger, in the early days, she, making up a few stories, Frank, I think, as well. <laughs> I remember her telling me that she mightn't well, have the answers. Tradition that of the family, I hope you're continuing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan, in those early years, as, as has been suggested by John and Sandra, there was a great shortage of resources. Oh, completely, completely. 
I admired them because they had very little. You remember coming to some of the AGMs? On a few occasions, a few years, uh, they, were, they, were, they were afraid to continue because they had nothing. Like, it was a big enterprise with all the people employed and was going on and everything. So they had to and be all, bailed out? And I remember Noel Lynch, he was a, a nephew of Jack Lynch's, and he said, oh, well, he said, walk away anyway, he says, and we'll see what we can do next year. He couldn't promise them, but yeah. he'd be able to do something then, you see, at the AGM the following year. Yeah. And that gave him the, the courage and the impetus to keep going. Like. Yeah. There are people we're all indebted to, Michael, aren't we? Those early trustees with, with no resources, spending out of their own pockets. Hugely indebted to them. And it's good that it's recognised not just locally, nationally, but internationally. John, joining this family with all of its endless talents, with its deep roots and strong attachments with Canarni... It's like growing up, I suppose, uh, Frank, it grew on me gradually. <laughs> <laughs> they were all doing their own thing. Mrs Fleming, Peg... She was a real businesswoman, and I really admired the way she used to do business. But how she, did she accept you? Oh, I'm sure. Why wouldn't you? Anyone <laughs> could accept me. What do you want? What do you want about? Apology, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Michael. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> um, she called him my my Johnny. She yeah, absolutely right? loved my dad, and he was. Why was it? Was, Why was that? I suppose he's got plenty charm, oh, Frank. He might keep it hidden at times, but, you know, plenty charm. What you see is what you get. My dad is just a lovely, gentle person. He's also very capable. He'd have been drafted in to help with all sorts of things at any hour, day and night, and he was always there for my grandparents. I my granny doted on him and spoiled him, same as my mother. He was spoiled rotten, this And his daughter spoils him now? Oh, I do a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do a bit. Yeah. Dan, I mean, the, the model of the trustees of Buckers House, started by Dr. Hildred, Podrick Fleming, Ty Kerry O'Sullivan, Sean O'Connor, Mrs. Grosvenor, and others, managed by Ned Myers, the model of that partnership between the state and the, and the charity, which the trustees are, was unusual and, and still is. Well, it was at the time, and that's why so there was fear and trepidation on both sides, but... I was lucky over that the call fest between the department and the trustees and everything happening with the with, with, with the officials. Did you report both to, to one another? Did well, you, you did it, you I, tell them all the facts? I, I didn't because it could be very dangerous at, at times like you know. Yeah. yeah. There was a there was a period here and, and, and there was how do I put it there was slight conflict and, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And it was decided then after so many years that it should be a giant management of the house yeah. with the trustees and, and the OPW. But that was part of the resources at the time, wasn't it? it was, they yeah. were taking over the yeah. payment of the, but of the there guides. There was a very long courtship. There was the falling outs and falling ins and whatever, yeah. like yeah. that in any marriage. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And eventually the marriage was consummated <laughs> <laughs> in, in 1980. A giant agreement was signed then by the late Tommy McEllistrom and John Ford. Yeah. And Sean O'Keefe, the Lord of Mercy, and he, he represented what they call it, the town council. And he was in the trustee, he was yeah. chairman of the trustee at the time. Yeah. And Father O'Keefe and Mrs. Roman, they were there at the time in 1980. Yeah. So yeah. after that, then, it was a marriage. And you know how part of the, what to do when you're in a marriage. You have, there's going to be a bit of bickering and whatever. But you, if you're mature and you're reasonable, you can see, you, you'll come to what an amicable solution. <laughs> and so say all of us, Michael. So say all of us. 
there are of course occasions when there are still little differences of opinion I think we're singularly fortunate at the moment that the, the person in the department is a local man from Guinea Willa, Nilo Donahue, with whom the trustees have a wonderful interaction and he's very supportive of what this is all about and does the best of his ability to ensure that the wider entity that is the park is well looked after and we have seen that in recent times with the improvement in roads etc and we hope that will be ongoing and that we hope that rapport with the department will remain strong and vibrant because it's very important that this place would prosper. Is, does the model exist anywhere else though? I mean I can't think of anywhere else in the country where there is a, a partnership with a state property of, of this kind. I never heard of any other one but again just I think this is important to say I've just come here now this morning from the Mehel working in the National Park and the Mehel is an offshoot of Kalani looking good which was the heart and soul of Yvonne's life Indeed. so you could say the wonderful work that's been done by the Mehel at the moment trying in some little way to control and limit the spread of that monster that is the rhododendron mm. is as a result of Kalani looking good I think that the general public in Kalani and Kerry are probably not aware that the trustees are, are first of all, it's a charity. Nobody gains out of it. Anything that is made is reinvested in, in what is happening. And that it is unique. And we're very well, lucky it's to have it. unique in the, in, in the sense of uh, that we have never heard of any other such similar place in the country. And the commitment down through the years of the trustees, I must say, is tremendous and the focus in their meetings is absolute there's no collecting we meet for an hour and a half or two hours whatever it is and uh, it's all about progressing what's here and making it better for everybody and long may that continue because it's a special house in a special place in a special county indeed dan kelleher and michael gleason thank you both for joining us and we're going to to go on to another point you can't count on me like one two The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. Insert for Yvonne Quill, guided by daughter Sandra and husband John. Today's programme was recorded on March the 12th. Your comments for future programmes, text 083 300 300 or 4066-7123666. Now, outside the Monument to the Munster Fusiliers, at the Haha, near Kenmare Place in Killarney, near the statue of Christ the King, we're joined by fellow tidy towns, Killarney looking good volunteers, Kathleen Foley, who was litter picking and planting with Yvonne up to five nights a week, travelled all the way from his home in Waterville, Pat Clifford for nine years, principal of Fossa National School, and Marlon Cunahan of CASID, the Killarney Asylum Seekers Initiative. Picking and planting up to five nights a week. Captain, there was the, the friendship and the fun. Like the evening, Father Murphy got stuck on top of a gate. The story was relayed to me by Yvonne, and I think it was Donald Mangan and Father Murphy who were collecting litter out on the park road and Father Murphy, being Father Murphy, couldn't leave anything behind. So he decided to scale the gate and as, as he did so, he got stuck on top of the gate and had to be rescued by Ivan and I'm sure it was Donald Mangan. Was his pants showing any permanent signs of damage? 
I don't think so. When he saw a litter behind a, a railing, he had to get in there. Pat, tell me about you, your first contact with Yvonne. I took over as principal in Fosse in 2012. And pretty soon after that, I was introduced to Yvonne for the first time. And she was telling me about an initiative. I told her that I was pretty lamentable at something like that, but maybe that if she could give me any advice, I would go to it. I think she soon realized that this would be a job that she'd probably take on herself. She involved the children. The children used to love see her coming. Even the sensory garden that's now still enjoyed by the children with additional needs in Foster School. It was Yvonne that was initially the person that started that up. Marlon, your relationship with Yvonne has uh, all to do with brown bread. We were compiling a recipe book, international recipes, and we thought that it would be nice to have something that's Irish authentic and, and uh, a local person. And somebody said, oh, Yvonne Quill, because they used to have a, a coffee shop in this. So I approached her and she generously agreed. And actually, it's a lovely brown bread that even when I have a chance, I'm not a baker myself, but every time I have a chance, I will always do that, that, that recipe. Home in Barleymount was full of litter pickers and high-vis bibs and, and green bags. If anybody rang, Mum, you know, anyone in the community at all, which could be hundreds and hundreds of calls and texts about joining as a volunteer with Tidy Towns, Mum would be straight out to their house uh, with equipment, so litter picker and bags, high-vis and gloves, and she would engage with them immediately. And I think she really had a great understanding that the Tidy Towns was a community initiative. It wasn't obviously all of the different businesses and business people were involved too but she really saw it as part uh, you know everybody's job so from the young children in the schools, teenagers as well in the secondary schools she'd, she'd be out engaging with all of those people she felt that the town was belonged to the people who lived there she believed that all the, the new people moving into town. She welcomed everybody. She loved meeting new people and learning about new cultures. She understood that having young people involved in it was how it would last. Kathleen, there were rewards. Winning the National Tidy Towns competition in 2011. The Communities in Bloom presentation in Edmonton in Canada. As a follow-on from winning Killarney Tidy Towns, we were invited to take part in this Canadian competition with an international flavour. After three days hard judging in the whole community in Killarney, which included schools, visits to the race course, Ross Castle, Muckras traditional farms. Then the competition was being held in Edmonton in October and we were very felt very uneasy about going and representing Killarney but and the two of us headed off to Edmonton and we had a, an amazing week there. We met our judges who barely spoke to us and we thought this is a bad omen. We obviously didn't do well and they don't want to disappoint us. When the results were being announced you got up to five blooms and then we heard Killarney announced as winner five blooms so we were very happy and Yvonne was on her phone texting silently back to Killarney to let them know the good news. And she nearly missed when the announcement was made that Killarney was the best international large The town. overall winner. 
So I took off down the stairs like as if it was the Oscars and then suddenly realised Yvonne that there was something happening and she came trotting down after me and up on the stage and they said, you have to say a few words in Irish. So Yvonne said, "What, what am I going to say? So she trotted out a few words in Irish. Pat, the Fossil National School concert. I remember when we were doing Annie... That was one of, the, I think, the first musicals we did. And we were a bit out of our depth. And someone said, you know, maybe Yvonne would try and uh, help us out regarding costumes and everything else. And she was simply outstanding. I suppose Yvonne wasn't a sayer, she was a doer. So in other words, if she, I went, she went off to get some, I remember particularly some sort of a dress for Nancy and... I don't know where she picked it out or how she got it, but she was just, I mean, this was the type of woman she was, that if she said she was going to do it, she did it. Uh, I said in the end that I thought that she might just play a starring role herself in it, but anyway, she declined that particular <laughs> offer. Marlon, Kathleen and Yvonne and other Town people always offered to help in the Kazi community garden that first initial about the recipe and then after that she got involved with with, with Cassie and always texting me, do you need anything? 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 And I said, anything? And she said, yeah, anything. And she always kept her word. And actually even the last year... Dangerous to say that to you, I imagine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Even last year and I know she wasn't well and she would be texting me and apologising for not calling and all this and I said no 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 it's okay and really that's what kind of it's not just about the work but it's this kind of this connection one time I was not feeling well and she texted me which I thought was lovely and she said look mind yourself there's only very few people good people on earth and you have to take care of and I thought it was lovely and I really feel privilege to honour her Indeed. considering I'm not really a Killarney person. You are almost now. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen you. Foley, Pat Clifford, Marlon Cunahan. Thank you indeed for talking to us. We move on. We'll talk to you again in a few minutes. You can count on me like one, two, three I'll be there The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. Remembering and celebrating the life of Yvonne Quill in Killarney National Park, just inside the Golden Gates. It's, it's magnificent here. The jackdaws and the rooks are calling out, and we're looking down the cherry walk and the long herbaceous border is looking magnificent even without the kind of blossoms that will happen. Cormac, Yvonne's love and understanding of wild nature, her enthusiasm for the planted, her her understanding of the interdependence of flora and fauna here at at the head of the cherry drive an annual spectacular that delighted her. She did have a huge love for wild nature and especially the, the flora but the wild, like the bluebell groves and the wild garlics she had the camera always she also made the connections between the the bees for the pollination and the making of honey. The bumblebees, she loved them because they were very photogenic. It wasn't just the wildflowers, it was the, the ornamental flowers, like the beautiful magnolia here. Sandra, swimming in the lakes, cycling as children, 
she was a great woman for swimming. She would sea swim winter and summer. And the whole year round? Yes. On this, a daily basis? Not on a daily basis, no, but frequently. Yeah. I'd say every every week or so. So you were following in the um, footsteps? I prefer to swim in the lake. We were taught the risk, but there was no fear. Being in the park with the grandchildren then, we, I was dragged in with um, any change in season. So as it was autumn, she'd have to have photos of the grandkids in the leaves. Blue, the bluebells the same, the wild garlic we'd be out uh, and we'd often yeah. collect a bit as well and she'd be cooking up and making yeah. lovely recipes. Yeah. The, the, the symphony of the background comic, the jackdaws and the rooks, they're... Oh, yeah, uh, it is, I love it. And yeah. it's, uh, it's the treescape there, they're active yeah. and they're paired off, of course. Yeah. We don't realise that the bird, most bird life are like ourselves. Padre, you, you remember the trips to Dublin for the awards? On the way up, we'd have the discussion about, well, I didn't get any call or any hint. You're going to take the overall award. You'd get some sort of an indication that you'd be prepared for that because you may have to make a, a short speech and then you may bring a few other VIPs which would arrive. Yvonne, the obvious that she was held in very high regard. She'd start working the room. She'd come back with her half-hour report, letting us know, well, no, we're not going to win the overall, but she'd mention a few names and his tip. The next one then was, will we retain our gold medal? She'd go off again on that, and, and she'd come back and she'd say, look, things are looking good, she said, but you never know. On the way down, the planning would start for the new campaign. <laughs> no she'd rest. Say, oh, there was no rest. Huge energy and great enthusiasm and she'd be on about uh, is there any way now that she'd be going down through a list about anybody that she could bring on board or we could bring on board that had enhanced the committee and that would open other doors to improve better things. Padig, Yvonne was among those who stimulated the collection of, of wild animals, the sculptures and the information panels opposite the cathedral. Some of the thinking behind that was to appeal to the younger communities as well because, okay, you did have the adults on board, but they wanted the next generation to become aware of what we have in Killarney. First of all, the information board went up there, that's the general thing, and that's very high visibility with all lovely colourful images of the animals. But it's when you go down on the river walk that you want to show what lives on the river banks. We made up a list of animals. There was fierce planning in that because you had them consistent in size and you had to have something as well that was going to catch the eye of the child. The first couple of weeks when they went up, the amount of inquiries that came through, the amount of extra information that people were looking for. But the planning that Yvonne put into that. The painting of the animals took quite a bit of time, so Kathleen and, and, and Yvonne got involved in those, and then there was one damaged, and we were thinking this, this is going to be a trend now, but luckily enough there was only one. Comic for anybody who's keen on nature, this is the special time of the year, and, and really you, you've got to go out every day, I mean Yvonne's coming regularly in the park, because otherwise you miss things. Oh yeah, it's amazing even, okay, we'll be wrapped up there in cold weather and wet weather there for a few weeks, but suddenly spring is around the corner. One, one day can make a difference. If the, if the sun shines tomorrow, yeah. we'll have things coming out, like in the borders here now, you'll have, they'll jump, they'll jump into life. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yvonne had a great eye for things like that. Again, the camera. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she was a huge photographer, you see. Mm, mm. And uh, there were many uh, walk in the in the Knockery or the Domain, as, as Killarney people call it, because Lord Kinmare's Domain. So close to the town, it's wrapped around this, the town. Yeah. This, this yeah. an area and Knockery or and all the way down to Ross Island. Indeed. That would be the the Domain as well. Padre, just before we finish, going on a, a a visit to maybe a problem area with Yvonne. There would be occasions when. The, weekly meetings at the town hall and the town chambers and there'd always be a list of maybe now they'd be quite short but there'd be a few properties uh, 
problematic and they wouldn't be kept in its best. And the first thing was to find out the ownership. Uh, on a lot of occasions that would prove quite difficult, but it would mean that you'd have to make a number of calls and, and make inquiries about who owned this property. Now, a lot of the times people would have an idea, but they wouldn't know for sure. And then, of course, when you'd find out then for sure, the next one then was how to approach it. You couldn't go up and knock at the door and just say, listen, there's a, we have an issue here. So you'd wait for the occasion when they'd be out doing some tidying up and you'd be passing the house and, and you'd knock at the door and I remember one particular time they said a um, gentleman came out and he was, he was delighted and full of praise about all the work that had been done around the place and uh, before you'd know Yvonne would be engaging with this to all the, the volunteers and the next thing the story would come up about said property down the town you, you could see the change in the person's face straight away like how, 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 did you, how did you find out this but very nicely the story would develop we are going for the national award this year and it would be very nice if we could improve the site and then she'd say very gently that look uh, we believe that you're you're the owner of the property and in a very short while the person i know as if out of guilt or what but they talked themselves in to not alone agreeing with with improving the situation and uh, and the site but they'd also go further offering other things that they could do. I've seen this on two or three occasions and and uh, we always got the desired effect. And she used to have great uh, training, of course, from the late Father Murphy, Archdeacon Murphy, who was very experienced in matters like that. Parenting can mayor. Yeah. She would have made a great politician. I often said to her that yeah. she should have gone for the her her late father, I think, yeah. was a councillor. But the, she, she, because she nearly knew everything that was going on, yeah. and everybody knew her, so yeah. she sailed through it. Say, yeah. early, yeah. was that ever discussed, John? No, Frank, I would, I wouldn't be. Uh, you wouldn't be consulted. <laughs> no, 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 no. It would have no. done. Happened first, and it you would have been told afterwards. And I'd be told afterwards, right? Yeah. <laughs> she was very straight talking. Like yeah. she wasn't someone who'd say things behind your back. But very subtle, though. She had good timing, Frank. Yeah. But like, uh, she'd tell you very directly. Uh, yeah, I don't think that works very uh, well uh, in politics. Cormac Foley and Patrick O'Sullivan, thank you both for joining us. Now we're going to a break and to the news, and we'll be back with you about five past ten. The Saturday Supplement with Frank Lewis on Radio Kerry. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. The very full life of Yvonne Quill, guided by Yvonne's husband John and daughter Sandra. Today's programme is recorded on March the 12th. Your comments for future programmes, text 083 300 3300, 4066 712 3666, email franklewismangerton at gmail.com, or write Frank Lewis, Gillon, Mangerton Road, Bokris, Killarney. Now outside the town hall in Killarney Town, it's 7 30 and on a Sunday morning to avoid traffic noise, I hope. This was the hub of Yvonne Quill's 25 years of full-time Killarney looking good. I'm joined by Michael Gleeson, Killarney Town Councillor for uh, 20 years and a member of Kerry County Council for 30 years and Teddy Town's volunteer for, for many of those years. All the way from Dingle in this early hour, Michala Quillan, archaeologist, volunteer and formerly Kerry County Council Environmental Awareness Officer and Deputy Manager for the Killarney Municipal District. And by Michael O'Leary, former Killarney Town Clerk. Michael Gleeson. The wonderful thing about her commitment was that it was focused on leadership by example. She never asked anybody to do any work that she hadn't or wasn't prepared to do herself. 
Michal, Yvonne's loyalty as a friend... She always stood by her family, first and foremost. She would often talk about John and her children, and her grandchildren in particular, and I think the time she gave them. There was, there was a friend in relation of hers, uh, Jen, I was, I was asking Sandra about her earlier this morning, uh, who ironically died of the same thing uh, as, as Yvonne herself. But she was very ill and had to go to Cork frequently, and uh, Yvonne was the woman who drove her and stayed with her and drove her back home again. Michael, Yvonne mended fences and bonded friendships with buns and cakes. Especially the, the buns with the icing on them. And then on very special occasions, the wonderfully special cake arrived, the appropriately ornamented on top. Uh, and that was proof positive to all of us. A voluntary committee, and it's very important to stress that uh, to, to all of us, that uh, we had achieved the objectives that we, that she and we had agreed on and that were achieved. And that, that was always hugely appreciated by everybody. And of course, it was a way of in- ensuring that we remained part of the wonderful effort that continued in the town all through her life and hopefully in her memory will continue thereafter. <laughs> John, all of us sampled Yvonne's baking. Was there any resentment at home in Barleymont at all of the extra work and resources these buns and cakes demanded? No, Frank, because there was always a sit in the house as well. It was very important to keep me happy. My dad was spoilt for his entire marriage. But I think my mom had an amazing understanding too of how important it was to bring people together personally as well as work-wise or friendship or whatever so she she was always celebrating and you know having breakfast at the town hall or in our house or wherever was as important as the job at hand a couple of times mom was out of action over the years with after shoulder surgery and i was drafted in to bake cakes, uh, scones and various things for people in the town hall, whether they be, I I think I did a christening cake. How did you feel about that? I was very busy with young children and there was no way I was saying no to my mother. You just didn't say no to her, so I just got on with it. It was factored in. Was there a certain resentment though? No, because if I rang my mother with any sort of story, she'd be there in minutes usually. Payback. Yeah, so I, I, she was well owed, Frank, and yeah. I was only delighted to help her, but it did make me laugh. Like, it was... I knew that they were as important to her as members of the family. Uh, Michael O'Leary, in your experience, how unusual was the relationship of Yvonne with the town hall? It was uh, probably very unusual because I think that there were there might have been people in the town who felt that she worked in the town hall because the town hall was the uh, the hub of the administration, you know, for the whole tidy towns, Killarney, looking good area. So we, we would be working on all of the administration, the applications for the various competitions that we were in. So Yvonne was, was hugely involved in all that, mm-hmm. together with Eileen O'Connor and particularly Margaret Piggott. So it would not be unusual for it to come in at any stage and find Yvonne inside in the town hall. Just hearing Michael mention about the scones, the scones were particularly useful for getting people in on time for meetings. Going back to the model, Michael, mm. might it be something that might be built in in other people, might be used, that involving the volunteer to a greater extent and integrating them more into the local authority? 
Well, the, the trouble with that, Frank, is that uh, in, in order to have that level of integration, you're requiring a small organisation. The same applies both in the private sector and in the public sector, in that smaller units are better for service delivery because you have a level of informality there yeah. that you just cannot have with larger organisations. Larger organisations need more bureaucracy. They, they just can't operate at the same level as the, as the smaller ones can. Whereas it may be very desirable, it's extremely hard to achieve. Can I, just one further question I was going to put to you about that. As we'll hear throughout this morning, yeah. Yvonne was a strong, independent woman. How, how does that fit in the local authority structure? When you asked me if I could remember stories, I could remember some stories, but I probably wouldn't say them on the air because they might have, they, they might have meant that I needed to remind people of the limits within which they should operate, shall we say. <laughs> Very diplomatically put. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, a, for a model like that to work at, at any government or uh, organisation, you need somebody with uh, the commitment that Yvonne Quill had and that was willing to give the time. I mean, it was, it was endless. It, it isn't common. But you've been in and out of local authorities. I mean, th- that independence, that strength, I would have thought within local authority you need to be prepared to, be, to, me- to bend and to be malleable and to, to fit in and maybe to sacrifice some well, of I, your... Well, I think Yvonne had, had a remarkable pride in Killarney uh, in particular and anything that was going to be good for the town uh, she wanted it to happen and it was a matter of making people bent to her way of thinking sometimes. We're listening to noise in the background here. In a way, it's almost the ultimate compliment to her because there's pictures of these streets 25 years ago completely litter-strewn and at 7 o'clock in the morning there's three or four people out cleaning them now with machines. Indeed. And that's what she made happen along with Mike and Michael on my left Michael Deason as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's that remarkable remarkable achievement of bringing officials and elected politicians and the community with her because when we were looking at Anton Floral in Killarney it wasn't just meeting the great and the good. Yvonne would insist on stopping at all of the small community groups around Killarney Town that were working on their own estates or working in their own schools and making sure that they were part of the picture as well that it wasn't just the, the upper levels and I think Yvonne was that glue that held it all together. Mm. You, you make the point about her, her, her vivacious and enthusiastic attitude to everything. Uh, as I say I'm quoting you but perhaps her, her greatest attitude tribute you say for Yvonne it was really she was the gate opener in Killarney because when we started environmental awareness in Kerry first some tidy towns were very active and some were not and I remember there was a big campaign on home composting and giving people home composters and showing them how they worked and getting them to deal with that element of waste and Yvonne had an abhorrence of food waste of all things I mean working in in, in, in the cafes and uh, her, her great interest in food it was it was a terrible thing to throw away food and, and when we wanted to get something done in Killarney, it was usually a call to the two Michaels here and Yvonne Quill and doors open, getting into schools. I remember doing composting workshops in schools around Killarney at a very early stage and Yvonne was present at all of them. So she would introduce you, she would break down the barriers and get the thing done. And thereafter, it was very, very easy to get things uh, started in Killarney because you were looking for a champion that would get people involved. Mm. Uh, I was passing down by the, the community school this morning, I remember, uh, and I think you were there as well, Michael Gleeson, planting trees, but they weren't just trees, it was, it was an edible orchard where there was apples and plums and nuts planted. But again, it was Yvonne Quill talking to the school that got it in there. Indeed. Michael, Michael Gleeson, how, how is Killarney looking good, the whole tidy town's effort? How, how is it missing Yvonne's close relationship with Town Hall? In life, some people are irreplaceable. I want us to accept that. But I think the memory of her commitment will continue for a long time to be our inspiration and the inspiration of generations to come. Because once you set a standard and that with the right people remain involved, 
they will continue to insist on the standard. As Michala Killarn said, we all remember a saying by some national reporter that Killarney was best viewed in the rearview mirror of a car leaving town. That inspired her and many other people to start the transformation. And one very important thing about Yvonne's commitment to the town is that it has radiated outwards. I live four kilometres from the town and there's a very active group out there as there is back towards the Fossa area and out towards Muckras and all the other roads out the Tralee Road. They have all, like a tree, they have grown, the branches have grown from the work that was done within Killarney and that's an incredible legacy to leave to an entire community. I just want to make the point that Yvonne had great help as well and you've mentioned Eileen O'Connor and Margie Piggott in the offices here but also Kathleen Foley uh, because Indeed. Yvonne never travelled solo uh, Kathleen was always with her uh, and between them they had, they, had a, they had great time but they did great work Just to build on that I was thinking of Kathleen Foley myself when, when uh, Michael here was speaking about the schools and uh, very much like say from the Town Hall's point of view we would have been very involved say in the, the general administration in the maintenance works but definitely things like the schools the community things they were Yvonne's she drove those particularly with Kathleen Foley I think Kathleen was, was always at her side when, when doing that and then when you mention other people of course the late Father Murphy <coughs> she very much found a comrade in arms when Father Murphy arrived into town and the, the two of them then became a pair and became a very recognisable pair throughout the country as the faces of tidy towns in Killarney Michael Gleeson, Michal O'Connor, Michael O'Leary, thank you indeed for talking to us. We'll move on. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. Travelling the life of Yvonne Quill, our guides, her husband John and daughter Sandra, now were in College Square where Yvonne grew up above the business, the cafe, the bakery, the grocery shop. We're joined by Donald Gleeson who grew up and still trades down the street in College Square and by Theresa Irwin, a friend of Yvonne's from the time she came to live in College Street over the general accident, now on Casey's. And by Michelle Cooper-Galvin. Michelle grew up between here and Countess Road where we, we talked earlier. John, your first trip to the house here in College Street? I remember it well, really well. But I was going to Yvonne for, I don't know, maybe a month or two. Yeah. And it was coming up towards Christmas. Of course, being the cute lady she was, she says, oh, I'll invite him anyway for the tea, you know. Yeah. And... I came to the door at the side of the house and the door was unlocked but there was nobody there and I pushed the door in shyly I must say at the time and <laughs> You've overcome I that. looked up the stairs and there's Padraig Fleming with a hoover on the top of the stairs her dad hovering and I'm saying Jesus Christ is this the, this, is this the way things are going now <laughs> I'm saying to myself I never picked up a hoover at home <laughs> Am I in the right house or should I turn around and go back? <laughs> but I have to say, it's about the only time I saw Padre Filming using a hover oh, ever yes. since. <laughs> Donna, fair day, monthly. Remember uh, all the sheep and pigs, the, the whole of College Street full of donkeys and calves. What was it like in, in your father's, now your, your shop? I'm not sure when they actually finished, but... Uh 
both sides of the street were covered with uh, cattle and pigs and uh, sheep and I suppose chickens you'd hear the pigs squealing at 6 o'clock in the morning that's the first thing that would wake you up and it went on all day then the town was much quieter you played football on the street oh we did of course yeah College Square was a fine you could have a tree four side there no bother yeah, yeah. we only no good it useless <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, Yvonne was a, a, a stalwart of the Friary Youth Club and you had your young dancers together putting on a show Babes in the Hippie Woods that became a step too far for the Friars We took part in the show and it was considered so good it was invited to go to the Opera House in Cork mm-hmm. where we went and put on a wonderful show there but all the, the hijinks going up on the the train and coming down in the train, I think, was too much for the friars. We were invited to the Olympia in Dublin, but no, we weren't allowed to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but Yvonne was very involved now in that. She threw herself in completely. Mm-hmm. She took the part of the mother of uh, the, the babes, and my husband Peter was the father. So you weren't we, afraid of anything developing? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Maybe she had her eye up in, you know, yeah. up in Barley Mount at the time. Our friendship grew from there. Michelle, you remember Yvonne's mother, Peggy? This was regular every morning. Every morning, 10 o'clock, half 10, you're in here. I remember the people coming from, from the friary in, they'd get their brown bread first of all and there'd be a fight at the door like if there wasn't enough brown bread there for all the ladies coming from mass. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go in, you'd have the cup of tea and the scone and I mean everyone in town had wonderful memories of all the various cakes, you know, the eclairs, the three corners, the, mm-hmm. the vanilla slices, the long donuts. Mrs. Fleming, she had the cigarette and the ash about two inches long. Sandra, the Fleming home here was also a focus of your early life. We used to come in to my grandparents' house upstairs for Sunday lunch. Food was a huge part of our lives. My grandmother was an amazing cook and my mother. And we'd come in even during the weekdays my grandmother would do a three course lunch for my grandfather and it wasn't you know the dessert was made by her not from the bakery or the cafe Mm. which I found amazing Mm. everything was just so she had always beautiful silver cutlery Michal with this kind of background with this kind of depth (coughs) of background and stories going back generations there was a great head start in doing something in town, wasn't there? There was. I suppose in a way baking is the analogy of her life because she was a wonderful baker and everything else she put her hands to it was a matter of picking the right ingredients and getting the product at the end of it, whether mm. it was tidy towns or whether... I mean, her, you, you're talking about the, the dance troupe at the time. Her interest in the arts was huge and, and chatting to Sandra there, she studied, she studied art for a year before she came back home to, to help out but she would always be interested in anything artistic going on uh, books, music, very interested in contacting us for solstice dates and equinox dates. Herself and Eileen O'Connor came to Dingle just after Covid to visit all the archaeological sites. And the I most think, amazing archaeological Yeah, tour. and I think, I think the week she died I remember sending her a picture of a cup and circle rock art that she'd been talking about one time There was a great breath to her life John, did it take you long to get into the hoovering? I never really perfected it, to be honest with you. Just, just something I did against my will. <laughs> oh, you did do it, though? Oh, yes, I did. did she, you didn't? Well, I would say, like, as much as we're talking about Mom being an incredible, independent woman, which she was, she ran, she ran our lives, she ran her business. She kind of did it all. Mom was definitely the head honcho at home as well. 
keeping the house in order, doing all of the cooking, looking after Dad. He was absolutely spoiled. Yeah. She was a, an amazing woman. He definitely did very well when he chose my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, Yvonne, uh, as a neighbour, you have a memory of, of the saddest day when there was an explosion in the laundry and your brother James was killed on Saturday, July the 13th, 2013. And I remember the first person in the door was Yvonne with, uh, with a beautiful coffee cake and uh, I'd say eclairs and all the whole bivy of stuff. I thought it was a wonderful gesture. Indeed. She was the very first person in yeah. with, with that. You know, she was a great neighbour and had a heart of gold. Michael Gleeson, with, with that kind of empathy, with that kind of feeling for people, I mean, when somebody like that comes to you and asks you to be a volunteer, how can you refuse? You can't, but that's what Donna said there. Wonderful generosity of spirit always typified her in everything she did. And she did it with a joie de vivre, with a, a, a joyful spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little aside, the, the seldom time that my mother would maybe once a fortnight come shopping into the square into Jimmy Gleeson God rest his lovely soul she would always come here for her she loved coming here for that rare thing then a cup of, cup, a cup of tea and a bun yeah. and a scone or whatever it was mm. and so when my fateful day came in 1975 I was approaching 1975 I rarely took instructions from my mother but I did then she ordered me to get my wedding cake baked here and transported to Cavan the 8th of August 1975 so they sampled and greatly enjoyed the cake in Cavan Michal. And speaking of cakes, when my uh, father was 80 a number of years ago, all the family gathered in Killarney for the weekend, and Yvonne got to hear of it. And uh, we went to a restaurant to eat, and after the meal, this magnificent cake was wheeled out. And wheeled out because it was so, so huge. It was, there were several tiers to it, magnificently uh, decorated uh, as, a, as, a, as a gift, and wouldn't take any payment for it afterwards. Yeah. And, and my, my uh, other memory of her is her interest in the Irish language and she had a huge interest in it and often came in looking for words and I was only looking at texts over the last year and this time last year she sent, she sent a text Gamery Mead Bio or in Tom Shaharisht Teresa She was on Duolingo we were both on it and perfecting our Irish it was wonderful you know mm-hmm. she loved the Irish You have another example of Yvonne getting completely immersed in what she touches Windsurfing was one of them uh, on the back beach <laughs> in Glen Bay every weekend when she closed the door here on a Saturday evening she packed her car with her children and all their friends I mean packed you couldn't do it in this day and age and towed a caravan to the back beach in Glen Bay and she fed the children took them up to the entertainment in the Ross Inn the following morning she got up she fed them she came in she collected her mom and brought her and the auntie Maureen who wasn't really her aunt, she was her friend, but everyone called their friends and relations aunt, and brought her to Glen Bay, mm. fed her, brought her home, came back to the children, and Monday was her free day, Sandra knows, and they had a wonderful day until they left that evening, packed up to come back the following day again. But while there, she saw my husband Peter on his windsurfer, and right go wrong, she wanted to go on a windsurfer and she stayed at it until she was up directly on top of it and uh, became quite good at it. There was a particular honour, maybe a first mm-hmm. honour that uh, Yvonne was given, Teresa. That, I'm very happy 
to see that Yvonne was the first recipient of our Woman of the Year Award in Seroptimist. I was the president at the time and we bestowed the honour for on her. She and her team had just won the gold medal for the Tidy Towns, which was the big thing, as you know, in Killarney. First time ever winning this award and we just felt she was the woman to get our first award. Great. Donna Gleeson, Theresa Irwin, Michelle Cooper-Galvin and again Michael Gleeson and Michal Aquilan. Thank you indeed for joining us. We'll move on. You can't count on me like one, two, three The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. The very full life of Yvonne Quill, guided by Yvonne's husband John and daughter Sandra. Today's programme was recorded on March the 12th. Your comments for future programmes, text 083. 300 3300 or phone 066 712 We're in Barleymont looking down on this tremendous view down over Loch Lane, Brown Island, Heron, Inishvallen, the Tommy's shore over the far way, the vague outline of the Eagle's Nest in the middle, then Torque and Mangerton and all the way over to the county bounds. We're in the, the Quill home on Barleymont and we're joined by other members of the Quill family. John and Yvonne's sons, Peter and Sean, and by neighbour Mick Myers, and by son-in-law, Peter Dunley, and daughter-in-law, Mairead Quill. Neo Donoghue, I'm told, from Glenflesk. John, while building this house here in Barleymount, you were moving sows. There were people required for to block gaps and block roads and to make sure that the sow went to the right place. So Yvonne just arrived at the right time, and he says out there you and block off that and she thought it was maybe a calf or something she didn't know mm-hmm. and she I don't think she'd seen too many sows anyway the sow came out took off and she did this a bit of a jiggle for a while to stop it and then jumped up in the ditch and the sow went flying past by and my father Jesus Christ <laughs> what did you bring home <laughs> that was it Mick, Yvonne loved town, but she became a part-time country girl and a farmer's wife when she, she got married and gave huge support to Barrymount and Fossil Parish for, for 50 years. She fitted in very well for a, a town, town's girl. Yeah. And <laughs> if, if I brought out the town's... I, I married a town's girl myself, and when, when I brought my own wife out, my father said to me, she won't even stay here, said, a week with your boy. <laughs> <laughs> but she went alone and Yvonne was there as well and Yvonne was a fantastic support to yeah. myself and my wife. She got me involved in lots of things, you know, the tidy towns, more, more over and fuss especially. We'd done a big clean up there, but Yvonne was the driving force behind the whole lot of it. Yvonne wouldn't ask you to do anything unless she, she be, was prepared to do it herself. We were both very lucky, I think, being honest about it, like to get the two girls we did get because yeah. any other one would have left us, I'd say. <laughs> Is that so? <laughs> yeah. Yvonne was a huge supporter of her grandchildren. Mum absolutely championed all of the grandchildren, so there's five of them, and uh, Anna's the oldest one. Anna got kind of involved in art at a, at a young age, and Mum interested in art as well, very creative, absolutely got every 
last bit of equipment. Every week there'd be something new. One of the last things that she did with Anna was, was a painting of Mockers House. Anna was preparing for her own exhibition in September and so she had two of her last paintings were of Mockers House actually, the dining room and uh, the dressing room and mom wanted to see it every single day, you know, the how, how it was going and she'd comment on this should be moved right or left or, you know, a change in a shadow and that kind of thing um, but that was right up until the, the last weeks of mom's life. Sean, your mother was always current, up to date on, on tech and everything else. I suppose she got the love of technology first from her father, my grandfather, who would have, you know, I think he was the first person in Kerry to own a, a computer, or at least we were always told that growing up. Um, well, he was also, I remember him telling me himself that he was involved with the Killarney Electrical Company, the, yeah. the setting up of the uh, place on the Mill Road. Once I started showing an interest in technology when I was a bit younger, mom was the one who was forefront in getting a computer into the house. And uh, I suppose like any time I kept on showing an interest, she really just pushed that. Like as soon as I started getting into digital art, she went down to, I can't remember what computer shop it was now, but came home with a tablet that day. Uh, I'd never even heard of a tablet at yeah. the time, didn't know what it was. Yeah. But she just, she saw an interest and she, how could she improve that? And that kind of continued right up until the end. She was always interested in everything and anything. Peter, she loved the beach. We bought a, a small caravan and we were we used to go back every Saturday evening and we'd come home Monday evening because the cafe was closed on Mondays. The caravan was getting older and one year we decided we were going heading off. Uh, I presume it was May and the, the weather was right. And if I remember correctly, John was doing silage or something like that. So we said we'd hook up the the caravan anyway and we drive back ourselves so Yvonne was driving I was in the passenger seat Sandra was in the back seat Charlotte would have been very very young so we got about uh, I'd say halfway back to Killorglin and there was a nice flat stretch of road and a straight stretch of road and whatever way I looked out the side of the window I seen a wheel <laughs> coming 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 past us at about uh, 60, km, 60 miles an hour, I presume. Yeah. And I said, jeez, there's a wheel after passing us. And Yvonne said, what? And I said, there's a wheel after passing us. And, and no sure didn't we, look, we looked into the rearview mirror, sure there was only one wheel on, on the car, and we were tearing back the road 50 miles an hour on an axle, yeah. So <laughs> we didn't make it to the beach that day, and yeah, we had to ring John in the middle of the silage to come and collect us and rescue us. Peter, son-in-law, Peter Dunlee. I remember the very first time I arrived down from Kildare with Sandra and arrived up to the door and, you know, you don't know what's going on and all of a sudden there's people everywhere and I hear there's the stations of the cross has been held so there's people everywhere around the place and I arrive in the door and I, I, I remember there was two ladies standing there baking away and, of course, nobody would say who they were, what they were or the usual bit of how, who are you, where are you from, what are you up to and... Mm. The question, well, which one does she think is Sandra's mother? Straight up, this lady asks. <laughs> and I'm looking around and there's two ladies, there's one buxom lady full of devilment and there's another lady slight similar to my wife. So I went straight for the lady similar to my wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, it's not her, it's me. And I was <laughs> straight in, fell hook, line and sinker for it. And from then on, she caused absolute ructions and devilment between the pair of us. Maria, daughter-in-law. Yvonne was just so welcoming and... We, she loved to head away for the day here, there and everywhere and I was 
a good passenger with her and we love our trips up to Cork. My aunt Mary Harmon used to come with us and Kinmare was another favourite place. They'd love to go down and they'd spend hours inside in Hallisey's buying things for cooking and baking and then we'd always have to have our tea and coffee and cake somewhere but she was fabulous and mm. as well say with Abby and Luke I mean there was nobody like Granny she just was the best Abby even said one year she goes mom Santa's presents are lovely but the bag of toys and presents that Granny gives are just better <laughs> <laughs> and they always made loads of noise yeah. that was the great thing about Granny's presents Sandra your mother was a fiercely independent woman. I mean, she was somebody who... She was. She was her own woman. Was but yet she, she had the empathy. She had the diplomatic ability. She had the ability to get on with people and not to show that you're really going to end up doing what I want you to do. <laughs> uh, you'll really think that you wanted to do it uh, that way. Uh, very capable. If she wanted to do something, she'd just find out how it was done and, and go and do it. And we were brought up like that, really... Uh, I think one thing I really remember from growing up with mom and my granddad was that if I said I couldn't do something, which children do all the time, uh, I, I was just told there's no such word as can't. You, you can do it, you just yeah. have to figure out how. She'd get out of any scrape, very capable of managing. Mom worked full time. She also looked after all of us. She travelled everywhere and she brought us all along with her. So we had great experiences and we were quite confident heading off into the world ourselves and she allowed us like freedom to, to have one. John, I believe when the colours were being decided for the house, you weren't consulted. God, it's amazing. <laughs> and it was just as well, Frank, because one day I thought I was putting up a few brownie pints and I decided I'd paint the room before she'd come home. Yeah. Anyway, I got the paint. I thought it was a lovely colour when I bought it. Yeah. And I painted the room. I gave it two coats of paint. I can still see it. And it was a purple. Purple? Yeah, it was a purple. And when you go into the room, you'll be, you'll be actually be blinded. You couldn't. <laughs> so that was in the my... Uh, you weren't consulted any further. About two months before Mom uh, passed away, I think we sh actually she was in, Cor in Cork for a week or two in the hospital and Dad was going painting the house and I was instructed, get those colours from Pete Dunley. Show him the colour, get him to pick the colours because Dad is not to go near any sort of colour chart. And so Pete picked out the colours, she okayed them and the house was painted before we arrived home. <laughs> the the, 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 the son-in-law was given more credibility than isn't, you had. Isn't it desperate? Right? Isn't it desperate? After all my years. <laughs> all my efforts. <laughs> um, I think Frank, uh, about Yvonne, she was so generous. Yvonne was like, and good humoured. I mean, you, when you talk to her, you'll feel good. Like, but she was a very generous woman and she was brilliant. Her neighbours and her friends. Mick Myers, John, the father, <laughs> and Mairead, and Peter, and Peter again, and Sean, and Sandra. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You can count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there.
Today we remember and celebrate Yvonne Quill, my guide, our Yvonne's husband John, and daughter Sanderton Lee. Just before Christmas in 1959, a fire in Courtney's home and bakery in College Street in Killarney. Yvonne and her family spent some time in her grandfather's house in Countess Road, where at seven in the morning we now are joined by neighbour and lifelong friend Johnny Maguire. Johnny, as a result of Yvonne coming to live next door, you went off golden syrup for life. They saved some of the treasure from the fire and in the garage, which was beside where we're talking now, and we had the run of the whole place. And I never knew anything about golden syrup until Yvonne introduced me to it. And there was this massive big tin of golden syrup, which I, of course, once I got the taste of this, I consumed (laughs) ad nauseum and I I haven't got off golden syrup for the rest of my life. I've never eaten a bit of it. (laughs) Sandra, you thought you might have diary entries from your mother Yvonne's grandfather from this time short one-liners about them being in the house I have a good few diaries Frank I just the one I had brought with me this morning has just the entry of the day mom was born and it says daughter born to Podrick and Peg last night wet and windy all is well gosh uh, that was actually written at the time yep it's here February 1951 in his own in handwriting other ones I have then from when they lived here in 59 and 60 and those entries were more focused on the, the girls were very loud today things like that or you know Yvonne arrived yeah. all noise <laughs> so very nice yeah. John it's a, it's a lovely hour of the morning isn't it and the birds are singing in the background there it's, it's the most magical hour of the day Normal rising time for me, Frank. When Is it? When you're doing a bit of farming and things like that, you have to get out of bed early in the morning. So That's what time are you normally up at? Well, this morning, no, thanks to you, I was up at <laughs> quarter to six. I'm sorry for getting up. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> even still, you can imagine, I mean, even way back, Johnny is talking about a time when the number of houses here were far fewer and everything was much quieter, but you can still get the, the sense of being in the country here. In 1959, there was no public lighting on Countess Road. Your home and Fleming's, a working farm behind, across the road, a big field with tinkers or travellers now, their horses. Johnny, there was nobody of your age around about. You were about seven, Yvonne a few years older, about nine or ten. Yvonne brought excitement to your life. Yvonne broadened my horizon. She... And it's only now I've realised this with the with the influence of her grandfather and and so well read and so well educated that she brought stories into my life. Stories of Robinson Crusoe adventure. Oh, yeah. All about adventure. Yeah. And we were playing adventure at that time. That's what's come back to me. And she created a whole magical world for me because I was effectively a boy living here on his own. I had, I had no real neighbours. My neighbour beside me was a Cot Healy from Carsevine. She had no children and she lived in a house called Barnish Rada. Oh, the neighbours <laughs> on the other side then, below Yvonne's house, were two bachelor brothers, the O'Connor brothers, who came back from Australia. They'd been shepherds and they had their house was called Shepherd's Home. So effectively on this side of the road, I had no one to play with. And then this wonderful person landed Dynamo. beside me Dyna- Dynamo and Dynamic <laughs> all her life <laughs> and I went into that it was like being in a, a whirlwind of adventure constantly Did and she called all the shots Did everything oh, I all see. the whole time you followed I followed yeah <laughs> where you I landed and we all followed around you after like. yes and, and, and for the rest of her life we followed <laughs> Sandra your, your mother was extremely flexible and practical in a crisis she never panicked she always taught you and your brothers if there was smoke or any danger run oh, leave run. everything behind except people absolutely 
every sort of thing that would you, you could imagine in a, every family home growing up from you know things going wrong in the cafe to things going wrong at home accidents people uh, splitting the head open all that she yeah. never ever panicked she just would get stuck in sort it out check everyone was okay once people were alive my mother did not care what we did what sort of bad behaviour there was she'd you know she'd say her bit alright but there was no huge punishment she'd just get stuck in she'd help she'd sort out the problems and move on you wouldn't be hearing about things for years and years she was brilliant with all our friends she would accept anybody we'd bring bring home all sorts of characters over the years from younger years to the teenage years to coming back as young adults I know some of them I wouldn't like having coming in my own door now one morning at home in Barleymount there was a knock on the door and it was like a really stormy day torrential rain the whole lot and there was a big huge dark man outside the door with a little boy who was drowned wet who we figured out was my first cousin and he had ran away from home this truck driver stopped and he lived up the road from us stopped picked him up and brought him to our house the closest house and mom brought him in took no notice you know dried him off I think there was a big cut she stuck him into the car over to A&E brought him back I don't think uh, my aunt even noticed that he was <laughs> she just didn't panic and she'd say do you know you didn't panic then because of her yeah. she was so calm you just did what you were told and as well she was extremely capable if we had a puncture my mother wasn't phoning dad or stopping looking for a man she was out changing that tyre and I was out beside her learning how to do it Yvonne and the crisis John I suppose when she met me that was the crisis <laughs> <laughs> to be fair down to all, to all our years we were together for 52 and we had not we had very very few I suppose crises as such mm. we'd have things that would happen but they just roll on and we'd roll on with them. We didn't panic about things. So you were both laid back? Well, reasonably laid back anyway. I suppose there's times I get kind of excited about things all right. You know, you'd have to have somebody in the house... Your that was nodding her head. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to have somebody in the house that would panic a little bit. Mom might swoop in and mop up any crisis before Dad would be notified. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was, there was a good bit of that in the house. Oh, right, there? You know, they were doing things unknown to you? There was four against poor old me, you know, What's that's there? the way it was. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I think John, John, I have, to, I have to jump in here because I think John Quill suffers from an inferiority complex as regarding <laughs> his own abilities. Uh, and he's far more capable than he lets on. Indeed. And he, 25 years working full-time as a volunteer. Her unique relationship with Town Hall, Kathleen Foley, Patrick Tracy, Father Murphy, and you probably more than anyone else of her passionate commitment, her absolute love of Killarney. Johnny, her drive, she had a vision for Killarney and, and her ambition for Killarney was to win the National Tidy Tones competition and along the way she won many other accolades for Killarney, the Anton Floral and various other wonderful awards for our town. And in that process, she galvanised the community. She was the heart and soul of the community. She was for the people. She was one of the people. She was all stock. And she knew everyone and everything about our town. The, mm. Every back lane, every estate, who lived where, who they were connected to, and how to get things done. Mm. She was the link between the, the people and the town hall. She was the daily visitor to the town hall. Mm. As, as she had her own space in the town hall, she was that highly regarded. Mm. And she drove the whole Tidy Towns campaign in our town. She was then joined by the wonderful Father Murphy who retired home to Killarney.
interesting thing about Father Murphy and Yvonne and myself, we all lived in the Countess Road. Yvonne lived here when I was a, a little boy and Father Murphy lived here when I was a teenager and I can remember Father Murphy coming up the, up the road here and the way he marched, he was like a soldier coming up the road. One of my jobs annually was to paint the front wall and he came over to me and he was talking about how it was great to see young men doing some work. He lived in a house up the road from us at that, that so time. So he was responsible for getting you involved? And I think, I think he planted a seed in my head and then later, when I came back to Killarney, over 30 years ago and my brother and I started in business I was introduced when he retired through, through Yvonne back with Father Murphy Father Murphy, Yvonne and myself but I have to say I was only a Johnny come lately <laughs> Yvonne and Father Murphy were the leaders and they had been it and that is Yvonne to me She's some, she was a dynamic force for the betterment of our town You don't wake up in the middle of the night either in a pleasant memory or a nightmare uh, with the experience of Yvonne Yvonne has kept me awake uh, many the night uh, for what for, do you mean for, by that uh, I better explain that to her husband <laughs> well obviously when I was a child she made me sick with all that golden syrup yeah. I wasn't the better that for a long time and then in, and, later, and, ti- in later times then in but later wait a sec, times, just before we come to later times yeah. in the in between period yes. you weren't a precursor to John Quill playing courtesy or uh, I wasn't actually. No, I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won't even begin to. Know. I mean, know where you're going with this question, line of question. Uh, and I have to say that uh, if I was, it was, it was uh, something that's a dim, distant memory to me because I was sorry. But I did. I forgot one part of the story in that Ivana moved back into town. I moved away for education and college. But then when I came back, every time I came back, it was into the cafe, going mm. to school, after school, mm. for the, the famous buns, and I mean, my mm. God almighty, that was a big step up from the golden syrup, and the famous, <laughs> the famous eclairs in the, in the cafe. Yeah. As I say, when I came back to Killarney over 30 years ago, and started up, and got involved in, in the commercial life of the town, and Yvonne was leading the, the Killarney looking good, and the tidy tones, mm. and Padre Tracy said to me one morning, he said, would I have 10 minutes to spare down in the cathedral car park and then my life was consumed with Yvonne's <laughs> plans for our town and the highlight of that was the winning of the Tidy Towns in 2011 it's fantastic yeah. Johnny Fart thanks for talking to us not at all Fart imagine a public sculpture in Killarney remembering and celebrating the spirit of Yvonne Quill an eternal flame to inspire all of us today and future generations to stimulate her unique leadership and commitment to town, to nature, to the arts, to family and friends. Those down in their luck and those cresting the wave and the joy, excitement and happiness in which all of this was done. An inspiration to all. From the delights of the cafe to the heroism, real heroism, living for your place that pinnacled in the 2011 National Tidy Towns win. Thanks to all of those who took part in the recording at sunrise on a Sunday morning. My special guest, Yvonne's husband, John, and daughter, Sandra Dunley. Sandra made the contacts and gathered the stories. Location sound of programme coordination to Vaughan Lewis. Post-production, Colette Foley. From me, Frank Lewis. Thanks for your company. Francis Jones will be with you after the news.